Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Zinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. Hello. Welcome to our latest Mystery Agent episode. We asked you, our lovely writers, to send in your query and first page and asked a wonderful literary agent to choose a lucky writer for a critique. What follows is the joy-filled, insightful consultation and conversation between them. There are wonderful lessons in this episode about pitching, character development, and more. If you'd like to enter our future mystery agent giveaways, head to manuscriptacademy.com slash subscribe, and you'll be the first to know. Without further ado, here's our mystery agent episode. Enjoy. So oh, thank you so much for doing this. It's great to meet you guys. I listen yeah. to every podcast episode. Oh my gosh. So. <laughs> Thank you. I love it. <laughs> Could you tell us a little bit about how it's been going with your submission process so far? Yeah. So I queried my first novel in 2015 and I eventually shelved it and realized I needed to write something else, which I think is a great realization to come to with your first novel as soon as you can. And I realized I wanted to be writing middle grade. So I switched over to that, which is what I do primarily now. And I started querying my first middle grade novel last year. I did like a big batch in January and a big batch in August, probably. While I was querying that, I started writing this book that I submitted the stuff for today. It was really nice to have something else to work on while I was querying and have my eggs in more than one basket. So I am finishing it up now and I'm feeling like I might be at the end of the line or towards the end of the line querying querying my other one. And so thinking that I'll start querying this book within the next few months. So this is actually the first time I sent the query to anybody or have done anything with this book. <laughs> oh, I'm honored. Thank you. I'm excited well, to see what happens. I you know. know. This like, is very exciting. And you don't know who your mystery agent is yet, do you? No, I'm excited to see. Mystery <laughs> agent. Mystery <laughs> agent. Okay. We like to pretend that we're on a game show. So we're yes. like, mystery agent, <laughs> come on down. <laughs> <laughs> Your mystery agent is Larissa Melo-Piankowski. And as you know, she is an incredible agent with a wonderful eye. She chose you. And we are so happy to just see what kind of conversation happens between the two of you because we really believe in conversation versus form letters. And we can't wait to see what happens. Justine, why don't you tell Larissa a little bit more about where you are, what you're doing, your plans for the future, and how we can make the most of our time today. Yeah. Hi, Larissa. Great to meet you. Thank you so much for choosing my query. I'm really excited. Um, I'm so excited, too. Yeah. As you know, I guess, because you gave me an R&R for my last book that I was querying this last year. Mm -hmm. uh, so your name sounded familiar. <laughs> <laughs> So yes, that's where I am in my journey. I've been querying that book for the last year. And while I was doing that, I was working on this one that we're going to talk about today and getting ready to query this and thinking about reaching the end of the line with my other one and getting excited about putting something new out there. So I'm finishing this draft up and this is the first time I've sent this query anywhere or done anything with this manuscript. And Exciting. I'm looking forward to, yeah, getting out there with it. So I'm really looking forward to hearing your feedback. Cool. And Larissa, what do you generally look for? When 
when you're reviewing queries in your inbox and what are some of your favorite things? Yeah. So in queries specifically, I look for like a certain quality. I can tell the author has like really tightened it up. Like the author really understands what is the core conflict of the book. Because for me, the query letter for fiction at least should be primarily about the conflict at the heart of the book. And everything about the query letter should drive down into that. We're like setting up the characters and the inciting incident and then really focusing on that conflict and then talking a little bit about the journey that the reader gets to go on. So yeah, that's the number one thing that I'm looking for. But also just like a voiciness, you know, certain tone that I can tell like, okay, this author has really worked on this query and has a really good sense of what their book is really about and also positioning in the market and everything. So we will have Larissa go in and make some edits that we can see or highlight so we can see exactly where she's pointing in a moment. But would you be willing to read your query on first page? Yeah. Okay. Dear agent, insert personalization here. I hope you'll enjoy my 50,000 word contemporary middle grade novel, Olive versus the Octopus, a growing up story about an aspiring ballerina that will appeal to fans of Starfish and Sofia Acosta makes a scene. It's not cracker season, the most magical time of the year, but when 11-year-old Olive is cast as the octopus, a Again, in the under the sea scene, she's devastated. She knows she's being shoved in the bulbous costume because she's not as skinny as the other girls in her class. Olive tries to talk to her teacher, but there's no negotiating with super strict Miss Stacy, and Olive's never liked rocking the boat. After she tries on the costume, Olive is so humiliated that she chokes in rehearsal, making her worry she won't be able to perform on stage. She starts wondering if she should quit ballet, or worse, if Miss Stacy wants her to. Meanwhile, her best friend Eliza finds out something students aren't supposed to know. Miss Stacy's is in financial trouble. Eliza launches a campaign to save the studio, but with Olive distracted by her own problems, they fight. Olive escapes to Hawaii when her family takes a surprise Thanksgiving vacation, and she uncharacteristically agrees to join a wipeout-style competition at the resort. As she trains and competes, Olive finds a new relationship with her buddy and a new appreciation for how strong ballet has made it. And in Hawaii's blue ocean, she finds inspiration for changing the under-the-sea choreography she hates. She returns home determined to make up with Eliza and stand up to Miss Stacy, but she must regain her confidence on stage and find her voice off stage to put her plan into action, bring body positivity to the studio, and make sure no one ever has to wear the octopus costume again. I have been dancing with very little natural talent since I was five years old. As an adult dancer at Inclusive Studios, I'm passionate about dance being for everybody. Insert bio here, sign off here. Yay! <laughs> I love the details about that, too. The octopus costume, it's so visual and wonderful. Should we go over this first, why it's fresh in everyone's minds before we move to the first pages? Yeah, let's, let's do it. And then we could come back to the first yeah. page. Okay, first of all, I really love this query. I love the premise of the book so much. I think something that a lot of middle grade authors, sometimes like less experienced middle grade authors, and not only middle grade children's authors, can sometimes find challenging is like this tone of getting into a kid's head and how they think about things versus how an adult thinks a kid should think about things, if that makes sense. And I think here you're just like really embracing how Olive would really be thinking about things and I really felt for her and felt with her. So I'm really excited to talk about this because I think it's an exciting query. Yeah. So I guess, first of all, do you have any specific questions for me before I jump in? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you so much. That made me so happy to hear. I was trying really hard to like get in her head and describe things like the way she would in terms of describing her body image. I was trying not to do it the way an adult would do it because yes. Olive doesn't yeah. have that language or like that frame of reference. But I actually wasn't sure if I succeeded in that. So I think that's helpful to hear. One of the things I wondered was whether I should mention the kind of side 
side plot about the studio closing. I feel like that's the only section of the query where it takes a little bit of a detour. And mm -hmm. I did it in order to mention her friend. But even though Olive's journey connects to that in the book, I don't know if you see the connection in the query. So I was curious right. what you thought about that part. Yeah, that's perfect because I did want to mention that. So let's start at the beginning and then I will okay. get to yeah. once we reach it because I think you make a great point. I think your instincts are on our own point. Yeah, okay. So right off the bat, the first paragraph, the metadata paragraph looks really good. Starfish is a great comp. You might want to include the author's name here just for clarity's sake. And then the only hesitation that I have about this comp is that it's like new, but not so new. I'm wondering if we're talking about finding the middle ground between lesser known titles and New York Times bestsellers. This is a little bit lesser known. And so I'm wondering if a comp title that's a little bit more in people's faces might be helpful. But at the same time, it's not a make it or break it thing. I think really the only thing here is to include the author's names. You might also want to be a little bit more specific in terms of what you're actually comping to in each title. So if you're saying, you know, that will appeal to fans of the drama element of Starfish or something, something, or if you want to recast the sentence in a different way. I think it's a really strong metadata paragraph and pulls us right in. I do wonder if you want to mention something about Olive's size or her body or how she feels about her body, if only because that might set the book apart from other ballerina stories you know, aspiring ballerina kind of puts an image in our minds of what she might look like. And so I wonder if being a little bit more specific and descriptive might make that hook a little bit more unique. That's a great point. Okay, so then this paragraph, oh my gosh, I really love this whole concept of this octopus costume because that's exactly the kind of thing that kids latch on to, right? Like they know exactly what adults mean when they do certain things, even when adults think that they're being subtle. So I think that that is a really kid-friendly and realistic way of framing her body image issues without making it seem like she has body image issues, right? It puts the onus on Miss Stacy. And yeah, I just think it's wonderful. So one quick question I had was here when you say, but when 11-year-old Olive is cast as the octopus again, I'm wondering if you can be a little bit more specific here about how many times this has happened. Like, is it the same show that they do? I mean, obviously it's the Nutcracker, so it can't change that dramatically, but how many times has she she done this. For instance, like is cast as the octopus for the third year in a row. Oh, yeah, that's exactly it. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think it could be helpful to mention that. And so I am wondering how does she know she's being shoved into the costume because she's not as skinny? Like has Miss Stacy indicated as such? Is there a specific point of contention between them? Yeah, I thought about whether I should say she thinks that or she fears that. Like it's more of her own internal worry. The first okay. time she was cast as it, it was like they all just got cast in different roles and it was fine. But now that it's happened repeatedly and coinciding with them being like now tweens and that really awkward time where she's getting more conscious mm -hmm. of her body and self-conscious. She's like, is Miss Stacy trying to tell me something? Does she want to push me out? So mm -hmm. it is more in her head. So maybe I should reword to get that. Yeah, I think indicating that her body is changing or something that shows that there is this difference in body type in the class before she is gut instinct telling herself like it's because I'm not as skinny because then we're like well we didn't know that she wasn't as skinny 
if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, but also, if you did include that detail kind of up here in the metadata paragraph, we can put the pieces together a little bit faster. Okay, perfect. And so going down really quick to the mention of Eliza, I think the only way to really integrate this fight and make it a useful part of the core conflict of the book might be if in this paragraph we see a comparison to Eliza, not as skinny as the other girls in her class, especially the head dancer, Eliza, who also happens to be her best friend or something. So we can see that there's like already like some tiny feelings of resentment there because otherwise Eliza comes in as an afterthought and we don't quite know why we should feel emotionally connected to her yet. Yeah. Okay, perfect. That makes total sense. And yeah. Eliza is like the star of the class. So right. that, that <laughs> yeah. yeah. I did actually wonder here what Olive was hoping for in this sentence, you know, when she's cast as the octopus, is there a role that she's hoping to get instead? Yeah, most of her class is cast as party girls and she's hoping to get that. And she's been working really hard since last year when she was cast as the octopus. And so the book starts out with her being like, I know Miss Stacy has seen me improve. There's no way there's going to be a disaster this year. And then she doesn't get it. Okay, that's good information to know. I'm wondering if without getting too wordy, if there would be a way to say like, but when 11 year old Olive is cast as the octopus for the third time in a row instead of as one of the party girls. I don't know. Like, play around with the wording a little bit just so that we can see the dichotomy here. Is it octopus versus dolphin or is it like octopus versus like prepadonna? That type of thing. It helps us understand the context. I think this paragraph is really good otherwise. And then after she tries on the costume, Olive is so humiliated that she chokes in rehearsal. I am wondering if you could be, again, a little more specific here with what happens. Like, she trips and she trips Eliza and everything falls down and whatever it is. If not, it's okay at the same time. But I do think being as specific as possible could be helpful. And since you've mentioned that she has been practicing, you could say something to the effect of all of us so humiliated that she chokes in rehearsal throwing her entire year of hard work down the drain and causing her to worry that she won't be able to perform on stage at all. I think that at all is important here. Yeah. yeah, just so that we know now it's not just a matter of her performing as the octopus. It's a matter of her even be able to be on stage, period. And then so she starts wondering if she should quit ballet or worse, if Miss Stacy wants her to. Maybe because she has this like feeling and it's not confirmed that Miss Stacy is putting her in this costume for a reason. Maybe something you could say is or worse, if that's what Miss Stacy secretly wants or mm -hmm. something. Uh, and then to your point, your question about Eliza and the side plot. I do think it's a little distracting and I'm wondering if it's as critical to the core conflict as it could be. Because when I read it, it raised a couple of questions where I was like, okay, but I can't really tell if Olive likes dance, I guess, enough to want the studio to stay open. She definitely doesn't seem to like Miss Stacy. So I'm not sure that we would really be upset by the studio closing. So I think like maybe cut that out or maybe if you do end up inserting Eliza into this paragraph as a contrast, maybe tying it back to that conflict where you could even say something. Meanwhile, her best friend Eliza finds out a big secret about the studio, one that could change both of their lives or both of their ability to dance in the performance. And she really needs Olive's help. But with all of this resentment building, Olive is not really on board. So really try to make sure that those threads are connected. But I also think that you could get away with getting rid of it at the same time. Does okay. that make sense? Yeah. I think the solution of mentioning Eliza earlier is super helpful because I felt like I needed to mention 
mention her. And I could leave in a mention lower down. One of the things she's trying to do to save the studio is getting Miss Stacy to add other types of dance classes. So I could say Eliza is like campaigning for this and all of is not really in support because that might not raise as many questions about his motivations or how she's feeling. Unless that still feels like it's straying. I don't know if it's necessary to include. I think the only thing, I think as you figure out how to word it, really consider how does this impact Olive and her current motivations at this point in the plot? Because I think other types of dance classes might be beneficial to Olive, but for some reason she's not in that zone at this point in the plot. So consider whether it's useful to include this information here, or if there's like another way to indicate this underlying resentment between the two of them. Yeah. I actually did have a note here. I would love to to know sometime in these first two paragraphs how long Olive's been doing ballet. Okay. Because that also, I think, makes a difference. Like, if she has only ever been cast as the octopus for three years and nothing else, that's especially depressing. <laughs> I would love to have that detail because then we can see how impactful this phrase is. She starts wondering if she should quit ballet, which feels more impactful if she's been doing it since she was like four years old. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And then I love this idea of a wipeout style competition. I also love love this idea of Olive learning to use her body in a less criticized way. She's able to really appreciate herself. I think that's such a beautiful lesson for kids to read about. I think here it's just a matter of some quick tweaks in the sentence structure. Maybe something like when her family decides to take a surprise Thanksgiving vacation to Hawaii, Olive is grateful for the opportunity to get away from the studio. Just connect the paragraphs a little bit as we keep going. All of this part I'm really interested in. I think it's really awesome. Here, this choreography that she hates, this is the first time that we're learning that she hates the choreography. We know that she hates the costume, but we don't know about the choreography. And so I'm wondering if up here when she chokes in rehearsal, if it's because of the choreography. And so maybe that could be a place where you could insert that detail. But if not, you could even do it somewhere here where she just casts as the octopus for the third year in a row. I don't know, something where we see that there's like terrible choreography and that she really doesn't like it because then it's not information that we're learning at the end. Here, I'm wondering if there's a way that you can condense this sentence or maybe even cut it out. In Hawaii's Blue Ocean, she finds inspiration for changing the under-the-sea choreography she hates. But to stand up to Miss Stacy, she must regain her confidence on stage. And then, yeah, we don't need to know that, you know, returns home determined. I think just keep it moving as fluidly as possible. And I also really love here, make sure no one ever has to wear the octopus costume ever again. Like, I think that's really, really special. And it shows that she's not just thinking of how she feels, but she's also thinking about how other ballerinas might be feeling. Yeah. And I think your bio is great. Do you have any questions? Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. That was so helpful. I really appreciate all of it. And I think you addressed a lot of the questions I had or pointed to some things I had wondered about. I mean, one thing I wondered was whether the paragraph about Hawaii was too out of the blue. It's the second act of the book. So I feel like it's a little bit farther into the book than I would normally give stuff away in a query. But it's mm -hmm. also very central to the concept of the entire book, which yeah. is that she goes and does yeah. this thing. So I wanted to make sure that that was okay okay with the pacing and mentioning that and everything. Yeah, I think especially if you're able to take out the part about Eliza and saving the studio and the financial troubles and connect the two paragraphs by saying something like Olive is excited to get away from the drama, basically, or her insecurities and go on this vacation. I really think it's important to the query letter to include that. Yeah, okay, great. And then the part about the choreography, like I almost took that whole sentence out because I also felt like it was the first time we're hearing about this. But my worry was like the book has a lot 
lot of like, obviously she's in an under the sea scene and then she goes to the beach and is at the ocean and stuff. And so I wanted to hint at the link between that. Like she ends up mm -hmm. going whale watching and she sees an octopus, and, you know, all of that kind of thing. But I might take that sentence out completely if you think mm -hmm. that it's implicit enough that this is like a beach situation and we know we're talking about octopuses. Or would you yeah. rather mention it? I kind of think it's special because it shows that she's still connected to dance, that it's not as though she's like, dance is not for me, dance is behind me, and now I'm going to do wipeout style competitions forever. And so I kind of do like it. But at the same time, if you do decide to cut it, I don't think it'll make or break the query letter. I do think it could be helpful. And we can see that we can see kind of the full circle moment of her initially being like, what if I can't dance anymore to finding inspiration? I think that's special. Great. That's super helpful. I'll just make sure to mention it earlier as mm -hmm. well so that we know what the lay of the land is. I don't think that I have any other questions. It was incredibly helpful. Thank you so much. Larissa, what are some of the things in this page that you think are lessons for a lot of writers who are querying out there? Ooh, good question. One really good lesson is in that first content paragraph where Justine mentions Olive's never liked rocking the boat. I think that to me indicates like, okay, this is the starting point with the character. We see in this first paragraph what she's like, what she's struggling with. And so that indicates to me not only like body image and how other people perceive her, but also her own ability to speak up for herself, which is something that I think a lot of 11-year-olds struggle with. I know I did. And then we get that inciting incident and we see Olive start to doubt herself. So we actually see her transforming, really getting into her head. We can imagine how she feels without being told how she feels. And I think that's something that a lot of authors would do really well to learn how to hone, where we can imagine how the character feels without being told. I think we see that character transformation when Olive is in Hawaii and she's finding this new relationship with her body and this new appreciation. We see a new setting, a new experience can help. And again, like we're extrapolating all of these details without being told what they are and like having it all spelled out for us, especially for middle grade and children's books in general. I think it's really important for authors to show how their characters begin and end in their personality. Can you talk about a few more things that middle grade has to do that other genres or age groups don't? Because so many people talk about middle grade as the hardest, right? Really? Um, yes. I, oh my gosh, I haven't heard that, but I can definitely see that. <laughs> <laughs> What are some things those authors can do to make middle grade stand out? I think the number one thing, and this ties back to everything I've been saying, is really get in touch with your inner child. Like, really remember how it felt to be 11 and you're still a kid, but you're like, oh, growing boobs? Mark, like, what is that even about? And everything is changing. One friend might still want to play tag with you. Another friend might start developing crushes. And that's just like a really confusing, hard time to be in. And so I think for middle grade, really remembering what it's like to be at that age because middle grade books are when you're 13 the protagonist is 13 it's a little different than a middle grade book where the character is 11 or 10 you're just going through different stuff you're at different comfort levels with yourself your life your body etc so I think instead of lecturing the reader about what a kid should or would be feeling really embodying this is how I felt and this is how I see maybe my kids feeling this is how I imagine 
imagine it to feel now. And yeah. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. Justin, did you have an aha moment when we were listening to Larissa talk about your query? Was there that moment you're like, ah, I think some of the things I could establish better were really helpful. Like how long has she been dancing? Giving more context that makes some of the sentences have more meaning. Like once you know that she's danced for her whole life, then it's more impactful to hear that she's afraid she has to quit. So that was really helpful. And I realized I didn't say anywhere in the query, she's supposed to be really good at ballet. She's not struggling with the moves. And I think that's important context to probably include. She knows what she's doing. She's never had a problem performing. And this is getting into her head and Yeah, I did not get that. I didn't get that either. (laughs) Yeah, but then there's a whole layer that it's unfair on a whole other level. Right. Right. And I guess that also goes toward her intuition that Miss Stacy is doing it because of her body or doing it on purpose because she knows that she's a good dancer. So that might also help explain that sentence too that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. I think like as an author, you assume that everyone knows what's in your head. And of course, nobody knows. And so (laughs) things that you assume might be obvious to you, go back and maybe read your query again and see where you could add some context. I think that's one of the things I took from what Larissa said. Awesome. Well, I can't wait for the first pages. Yay, go ahead. Okay. As usual, I'm late to ballet. I jump out of the car, shout goodbye to my mom and twin brothers, also known as the twin reasons I'm late to everything, and run across the parking lot, hoping the backs of my tights aren't getting splattered with rainwater. Miss Stacy won't like that. I get inside right as everyone's filing into Studio A. Good afternoon, Olive. Miss Stacy says as I walk in. Good afternoon, Miss Stacy, I reply as always. Eliza gives me a look as I join her next to the cubbies to put away our bags and street shoes. I shrug my sweatshirt off and stuff it away. Close one, Priya whispers. She's redoing her hair, twisting her long black braid into a bun. My brothers had to stay after school, I reply with a roll of my eyes. I hastily tug my ballet slippers onto my feet. My friends roll their eyes back. They know what it's like with my brothers. We head to the bar. The expansive room with its gray Marley dance floor and wall of mirrors always seems to be waiting for us to bring it alive. I stand behind Eliza, who looks neat as a pin, from her bun to her medium brown ballet shoes. I bend down and push the unruly elastic ties of my shoes under the toe, trying to tidy myself up. Glancing in the mirror, I tug at the front of my leotard, too. I'm the only one in my class with this problem so far, but I really wish sports bras were allowed in ballet. I've thought about wearing two leotards, but I think Miss Stacy would notice. She notices everything. All right, girls. Miss Stacy claps her hands and we stand up straight. Right hand on the bar, feet in first position, Miss Stacy's bar playlist coming from the stereo, everybody quiet. I love the first moments of ballet class. Today, Miss Stacy has the studio's back door open and the pattering of the rain is accompanying us along with the music. I love the voice here. I really like the level of sides, like Miss Stacy won't like that. My favorite one, I think, is down here. I think Miss Stacy would notice, she notices everything. That really shows us what kind of teacher Miss Stacy is. In general, I would love to see just a little more dialogue. Before I jump in, do you have any specific questions about the first page. I don't think so. I do feel like it's a little bit of a generic beginning, you know, start of class, your alarm is ringing type of beginning. And so I'm just wondering if that works in this instance or if I should experiment with other formats. And my main goal was to show that she loves ballet before I ruin ballet for her for most of the rest of the book. So just that broad question and thought. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think you're right in that it could seem a little bit generic, but I do think there are some things that you can do that will really bring it alive and make it just like very clear that it's in olive voice that she's having a very specific experience not just a generic first day or coming into ballet type of day here where you say i jump out of the car shout goodbye to my mom and twin brothers also known as the twin reasons i'm late to everything and run across the parking lot i think here i would love to see actually her shouting goodbye in dialogue i 
just recently finished watching the reboot of Cheaper by the Dozen. And it was really good. It was fun. But I was really struck by those little asides, like when the parents are talking and the siblings are punching each other in the background or like they're saying certain things, like little whippy, biting comments. And I think this is a really good opportunity to show like, bye, mom. And like, screw you guys. Obviously not that language. (laughs) But something that indicates that she's so annoyed with her brothers. Maybe one of them sticks their tongue out at her or something. Something where we just get a little bit more personality, a little bit more insight into character dynamics. And then this is like very nitpicky and line edity, but I think you can cut the second twin here and you can just say also known as the reasons of late to everything. So she gets inside right as everybody's filing into Studio A. I'm wondering if you can make it a little bit more of a close call. Like maybe everybody has already put on their ballet shoes as she comes in, but Miss Stacy gets a phone call or something where She's like, whoo, that was a really close one. And we see maybe Miss Stacy give her a look and, and we get a sense of like, okay, she's running late, but she still gets in. So she still has enough time to have this conversation with Priya. And here, Eliza gives me a look and I'm wondering, what does this look indicate? Is it a judgy look? Is it a relieved look? Is it like a, oh, that was like really close. Like you got it. Cheering her on type of look. Or maybe she says something that tells us a little bit more about their relationship at this point. Okay, great. Yeah, I know it's just like a who you made it look so I'll okay. add some dialogue yeah this is an opportunity to show the reader what their relationship is and then yeah we see Priya here and this is also a little bit like just adding more specific detail they know what it's like with my brothers I would love to know a little bit more maybe they've seen how her brothers have interrupted recitals or how like her brothers are constantly switching out her ballet shoes or something like we see just a little bit more detail about like they know what it's like but we don't yet I wanted to to just draw your attention to one thing. So here, there's a lot of verbs. So Priya whispers, she's redoing her hair, she's twisting it. Olive replies, she rolls her eyes, she hastily tugs, her friends roll their eyes, then they head to the bar. (laughs) So maybe cutting down a little bit on that. This is a challenge that comes with writing in first person present tense, where you're indicating like step by step motions, but read it out loud to yourself and you'll be like, oh, there's a lot of verbs there. Maybe not all of them are necessary or maybe instead of they roll their eyes back Eliza could just respond in a way that shows that she knows exactly what's going on here this sentence is so lovely I really love it always seems to be waiting for us to bring it alive yes like you just showed just in that one sentence how much Olive loves dance because I think when we love to do something there's like that moment before we get to do it like for me it's like before I get into the pottery studio I see the clay and it feels so full of potential similarly here Olive seems like this room has so much potential because of what we do in it and so I really love that you included that here love that you contrast Eliza looking neat as a pin and then she bends down. I wonder what you think about maybe having Eliza be like the ties of your shoes or something that shows that Eliza also has this mind for like perfection and neatness in a way that Olive hasn't had time to think about until now. I like that a lot. Yeah and then we can see again their dynamic. Would Olive be annoyed by this or would she be grateful? Would she be grateful with a slight twinge of annoyance? I think it could be helpful to see it. 
I think this phrasing tripped me up a little bit. I'm the only one in my class with this problem so far. I can kind of assume that it's about her chest, but then she mentions wearing two leotards. And we also know from the query letter that she had some insecurities around her body size. And so I think maybe tweaking the language a little bit more so we're clear on what exactly she's feeling insecure about here. And maybe seeing a little bit of a comparison, right? Like how does this leotard fit on her compared to how it fits on Eliza and Priya and the other ballerinas? What is changing? Did her leotard used to fit her differently and now it's changing or that type of thing? Because it, it, this seems to be like a key turning point for her when you start noticing things in the mirror and you can compare yourself so easily to others, especially in a dance class. So I think that would be a little bit more natural. And it would also indicate what you mentioned in the query letter about her being bigger than the other girls. Then here, this is like such a lovely scene. I think it's really, really beautiful. I do think all right, girls, I'm wondering if Miss Stacy could be a little bit more severe there. Right now we're seeing her be like, hi, Olive. All right, girls. She doesn't seem that strict yet. So I'm wondering even if Olive comes in just under the wire and Miss Stacy was on the phone, for instance, Miss Stacy could be like, all right, girls, Olive, like you should be here on time or something. Maybe singling her out in a way that Olive is already feeling singled out. And so we see that severity. And then this is really, really beautiful. I would love to know maybe one more sentence about what exactly it is that Olive really loves about the first moments of ballet class. Is it that potential again? What is that bated breath moment before the music starts playing and everybody's quiet and not moving yet? What is she waiting for? What is she waiting for not only in others, but in herself? Because clearly she has a really deep connection to dance. And so this is a good place for you to insert that connection a little bit more. Also, I can hear this moment right here with the rain pattering outside. And I think it's just really soothing and lovely. So I like that addition. Great. Thank you so much. Yeah, really, really helpful, especially the places, again, where I can like add a little bit of context or help people understand what these relationships are right off the bat. I like what you said about the shift that's happening in herself right before the music starts. Like, how is she shifting? Which for her, nothing can reach her here. None of the chaos yeah. of her family can get in here. And so she zeroes in on it. I think that's really helpful. And I guess in terms of a question, so you would say if I make those edits, it's okay to start a book in this way and be like, it's Definitely. the beginning of class, so. we're walking in. Okay. Yeah, great. I think so. Is this the class where she gets assigned the costume? No. So she has this class and then one scene at home and then she comes and sees the casting. So in this class, like in the first two pages, she's like, Nutcracker casting is on Thursday. Like they're all getting really excited about it. She's thinking, I know Miss Stacy is seeing me improve, blah, blah, blah. She goes home and has a scene with her family and then like comes back to class like in the third scene. And that's where she gets the casting and is crushed and inciting it. Okay, okay. I mean, this is just the first page, so I don't want to cram too much into it. I was going to say, if it's the scene that she's going to get the casting, then you might want to insert more urgency, like, oh my God, I have to be on time because, oh my God. But I think this all makes sense. One more thing that I just thought of. So here, just to smooth out the shift in her energy, she's being self-conscious, self-critical. And then in this moment, the all right girls and this exact sentence, something must shift in the energy of the room where all of a sudden she's no longer thinking about her leotards or her body. And so maybe indicate that in some way where something snaps her attention out of it and she's like, oh, right, I'm about to do something I love regardless of my body. Yeah, I love that. That's exactly what's happening. I love that idea of finding a way to convey that. My only other question was just, I originally started the book with the casting, which was putting the inciting incident on the first page. So I wanted to move it back and establish a status quo where she does love ballet 
ballet before everything kind of goes wrong. And a lot of the book, she feels very negative about ballet. So I wanted the reader to know what she was losing. But I was worried about it being slow or whether or not that comes across well enough. I know you're only looking at a first page, but I think that was my other main thought about how I'm starting. Yeah, I think without seeing the rest of the chapter, it's a little hard to gauge whether it should start in that scene. But if you did want to start in the casting scene, something you could do is have the casting happen at the very end of class. So she's still filled with anticipation, but she's like, God, I love this. Like, this is so magical. I love what my body can do. I love dance. And then that casting would crush that feeling for her. But otherwise, with what I'm seeing here, I think this is a really good beginning. And it doesn't sound like it takes too long to get to that inciting incident. Hopefully the scene at home with her family is not super drawn out. But I think you're on the right track. Okay, great. Thank you so much. So, Larissa, I noticed a few times you were asking for things that sounded like they were add more tension to the first page. How do you know as an author if you are having the right amount of tension or if you're just like, hey, boom, crash, come on in. Yeah. You know, the world's ending, things are on fire, and you'll never match that intensity later again. Like, how do you <laughs> find the right balance? I think the right balance is do we feel a connection to the character and their emotions? And the tension at the same time. You don't want the stakes of the entire book on that first page, but you do want an inkling of the stakes, right? And here on this first page, to me, it's Miss Stacy. Like Miss Stacy is this underlying point of tension. And of course, Miss Stacy then leads to the bigger stakes at hand, which is the octopus costume and everything. Yeah. So I think it's a balance between like you want us to feel emotionally connected to the character and also get a hint that something is off. But so far, it's good. I think readers feel smart too when they're like, that's a clue. I don't know what yes. it's for, but yes. it's there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think especially for middle grade, like we want to know who we're rooting for and who we don't like. And right off the bat, we don't like Miss Stacy. We're not a big fan. But I think especially if you do include like a little bit of dialogue between Olive and her brothers, especially if it's snappy and funny, that instantly pulls us into Olive's world and we're like, oh, we love her. What are your next steps and what are the things that you're going to take away from today and, and use going forward? So I was in the middle of revising the manuscript. My critique partner read it. And so I was doing what I hoped might be like my last really big edit on it before I query. And I feel like everything Larissa said about the first page. I now want to go do that for the whole book. It just was like really helpful to hear how you talked about it and a lot of sentences where you pinpointed what I was trying to do in a way that like I don't even know if I would have said it that succinctly but then made me realize like how I could up the stakes of it or up the impact of it. So I think I'm going to do a really close read of that manuscript as my next step and revise my query obviously with the super helpful feedback and then start putting it out. And I was wondering if you had any advice or if there's any differing strategy when you start querying, when you're querying a second book, like I'm going to re-query many of the same agents I queried last year, which wasn't like that long ago. And I was wondering if there's any strategy you have for authors who are in that position or if you kind of do the same thing you normally do, which is, you know, send out eight queries, see how they do, see if you need to change yeah. anything, do another batch. Honestly, I can only speak for myself, but no special strategy needed. When I tell you, like, we receive so many queries, people will not be like, oh, I'm going to go and look and see how I felt about that original query and then judge this author with this totally new work. Like, no, not at all. <laughs> but we don't have the time or the desire. 
<laughs> and we really want to love this book. So you don't necessarily have to mention it. I know some authors have mentioned it to me before when they're like, oh, I queried you last year with XYZ. I skim over that line. I'm just like, okay, for whatever reason, I wasn't necessarily in love with it or didn't connect to it as much, but it doesn't mean that I'm going to feel that way about this work. I like it. I like it because it's like, oh, you're still working. You're working hard. I appreciate yes. hard work and thinking of me not once, but twice. Yeah. Um, especially if they said something nice. I guess you could go for it based on like if they said something nice about your first book, then you could be like, you saw my previous book, X, Y, and Z. And then they'll go look for it. And if they didn't say anything nice, no need to say anything at all. Yeah, that's helpful. There were a few that were like, oh, I'll look at your next work if you want. So I was going to mention that to them. But yeah, definitely. Everyone else, I don't need to <laughs> pay anything. Larissa, do you have any tips for what you think is the best submission strategy for a book like this. It's middle grade, so there are a ton of people looking for middle grade. It's a second book. It's an author with a really cool resume. Um, mm -hmm. How does that change her strategy compared to everyone else's? I mean, you're doing all the right things. Like your bio is really strong. You're indicating like, I have a platform. And at the same time, like I have this emotional connection to what I'm talking about in the book. I always love to see that an author can actually make guess how their protagonist really feels because they have that experience. In terms of strategy, I think connect with agents who you feel based on their updated manuscript wish list, based on Twitter, even though Twitter is dying. <laughs> Based on like wherever you find agent information and what they're looking for, as always, do what you're doing, like personalize the query. But overall, I think that you're doing a really, really good job. I think your next steps feel really good. And I would say to just every author, but especially to middle grade where you are striking that balance between like a conversational tone and also emotions um, and plot, definitely read it out loud and do that line by line edit, like that close edit, because you'll notice like, oh my God, I've repeated asked five times on this page or <laughs> something like that. And, and you'll just start to notice things about your writing so that every sentence is still as strong as it can be without losing that conversational tone. Yeah, I think this is a great example of how a conversation like this and then Justine, you just make tiny pivots. The structure of your story is really close, but adding that tension line or adding those extra details so that we understand, especially with middle grade grounding, that setting so that the kids that are reading it can comprehend it makes all the difference. I feel like you're really close and it's so interesting what Larissa picked up, but then what an opportunity you have here just to like tighten it up just a little bit. I'm so excited for you. Can we place bets? Like, because I bet you're going to get an agent by the end of 2023. Mm, I mean, depending on when you start querying. <laughs> Maybe we could say like 12 months from when you send out your first query. Mm -hmm. I bet. Well, it's one of my goals for 2023 when I made my resolution. So I am going to cross my fingers, Jessica. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We're all keeping our fingers very tightly crossed for you. We're rooting for you. Yeah, we are. And I bet everyone out there listening is like, yes, this is a great book. This is a really hardworking author who takes direction really wonderfully. Okay, so can we just get, as we wrap up, a little bit of a message you'd like to give to the writers out there? Like if you have one tip or one, you know, be hopeful or one keep going. I think my tip for writers, especially querying writers, is to start writing something else. I wrote this while I was finishing another book that took me like five years to write and I was like really mired in. And I had this idea and I didn't know if I should put the other book down for like two weeks and start writing this. And I'm so glad I did because it was the fastest thing I've ever written and it just came out and I loved it. And then it was so nice to have that to work on when I was waiting on query responses. And I feel like when you first start out, you can often think that it means you're 
giving up on your book if you start working on something else. And I've come to see it all as a much more of a long game. I'm trying to get a career, not get one specific book published. I could always revisit that book. I think the best thing that I did, and it actually ended up being so fun, was working on this at the same time. And sometimes when I was frustrated with the other one, I would just close it and open this and be like, well, this is like a day at the carnival. I'm just having fun and there's no pressure attached to it because I wasn't querying it yet. I would recommend trying other projects and not putting all your eggs in one basket. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's so true. I think it can feel like, oh, my creativity or my ideas are going to run out. But no, you're a writer. They're going to keep coming. And every idea might feel better or worse or somewhere in the middle between the last and the next one. There's no like scarcity. I think getting out of that scarcity mindset is really helpful. So I really love that you said that. And honestly, this everything you just said, the same goes for authors when we're going out on sub to editors with it. I always tell my authors, write something else. Don't think about what we're doing right now because you're just going to be like refreshing your email. But I think for me, and I forget if I've said this on this podcast before, but the number one thing that I want to tell authors is that you're looking for an agent. Your book is their new favorite book. And so when you're reading a book, how often are you like, oh, this book is pretty good. It's not my favorite, but it's pretty good. And then you put it aside and you move on. And then you're like, oh my God, this book is my all-time favorite. And then you love it and you want to tell everybody about it. You want an agent that feels like that about your book. They want to tell everyone about it. They are like, no, I have to be the one to bring it out into the world. You want that connection. And so I hope that helps authors to just keep in mind, you want somebody who's crazy about it. And so it's worth holding out for that person who really loves it. And you as a reader are not going to adore every book that you read. And the same goes for agents. And so I hope that that helps authors build that thick skin and that patience is so required in what's very much a long game, as you said. Yeah, there are a lot of bestsellers out there that I cannot stand. Yes, agreed. And I bet that's true for a lot of our listeners, too. I bet each and every one of you can think of a bestseller you do not love. Yeah. I am so happy we got to do this. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, thank you guys so much. Thank you, Larissa, for the opportunity. This was so great. I feel very inspired and encouraged and I'm just really grateful to you. Yeah, and I used to teach fifth grade and fourth grade and they would just love this. They would eat this up. They would eat it all day long. I could sell this on my teacher shelf. Oh, good. That's great to hear. Thank you. Thank you both so much. Enjoy the rest of your day. We appreciate you. This was awesome. Have a nice night. Bye. Jessica, I'm totally obsessed by this episode. This makes me so happy. It was so nice to see them interact in this really hopeful, thoughtful, fun way. And I'm just so excited for the author. I think things are going to go really well. And I think this is going to be one of those situations where I get to be like, ha ha, told you so when it worked out. I know. I think for me, it was just these tiny little pivots where the structure's all there, the story's there, the character's there. There's so much life. And then it's just those final little editing pieces, I think, are going to make a huge difference. I'm really excited to see how that goes. And it was just really fun to see Larissa's brain work in that way, too. It's so tough to do middle grade. And she was able to really capture all the nuance of all of the things that you want that are creative while still making sure that it was communicated in a really straightforward, thoughtful manner. So I think that's very cool. I can't wait to see where it goes. So we appreciate all of you for sticking with us through this fun episode. Hopefully you learned a lot. We have something happening next week, Julie. It is our submission strategy Mm. workshop. It is our third annual. I can't believe it. People love this workshop. (laughs) 
Well, I think it's a really fun workshop. Mm -hmm. uh, day one is how you find all those agents who are interested in your work. And there are probably lots of them that you do not know exist and are still really excellent agents and possibly the perfect agent for you. And then the next day is looking at your rejections in a way that's quantitative so they don't hurt as much, which I think is a really useful way to override that part of your brain that wants to say, well, I got nine great reviews, but this one's terrible. So the terrible one must be the right one. I know your brain wants to do that, but that's really not an accurate picture. So we look at ways of making it so that you can look at it a little bit more objectively and decide what you should do next. And then on the last day, we have your query and first page day and a panel with agents, John Cusick and Lauren Spieler. Julie, why don't you talk a little bit about day three? You wrote day three. Day three is all about looking at that submission package and making sure that <laughs> what you put in the query ends up in the first page so that the agent is immediately attached to your story and wants to immediately request your story and just ways you can hedge your bets in this ever frustrating and magical slush pile. So members, you're already on the list. You don't have to do anything. You don't even have to register. You will just start getting emails about how to log in and go right to the class page. And non-members, you can purchase a ticket. We will have a link in the show notes, but we have a surprise for you. Yeah. You guys, we have three tickets to this event for free if you the word strategy. So the first three people that email us at academy at manuscriptwishlist.com will receive a free ticket to the three-day submission workshop. If you're already going, you may give it to a friend. So yes, send an email with strategy in the subject line to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com. And if you're the first three, oh, it's like calling into the radio in the 90s. If you're the first three, you will get a ticket to our event next week. And I think it'll be fun. Even if you're busy next week, you can still attend on your schedule. We've got people from all over the world attending. You don't have to get up early. Just watch at your leisure. There are replays of even the live things. And you can still have the same chance of feedback if you send in your work and then watch the replay of the panels. We have 30 days access. Yeah, we know you're busy. We're not here to make your life more stressful. We're here to make it better. But I'm really excited about this. I love watching everyone workshop each other. Yeah, me too. Spaces. It's so okay. much fun. All right. What a great day. Link in the show notes and we hope to see you next week. And if you like this episode or even if you didn't like it, you can give us some stars on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or wherever you are listening to us so that other writers can find this podcast as well. All right. Hope you have a great writing day. Get your word counts and everything goes smoothly. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. It not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with First Pages Podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.